Hey, what's going on, good people? Welcome back to another episode of Training Well Done with your host, Coach Donald. Here to talk about the what, the why, the how of good quality training. And I am here with my friend, Tony Kengor, who is the running coach, one of the running coaches at Relentless Runners, and is quite a fun runner herself. Um, me and her have enjoyed a lot of runs together. Uh, mm. Well, not a lot yet. We're trying to get it to be a lot. Yeah. <laughs> She, she's fast and she runs at my space and a little bit faster, but what's up? Say hi to the people. Hi, everybody, and thank you for having me. Like I was saying to you, you're over there taking over the world, which is, which is crazy to see you grow as a business owner and just seeing everything that you're up to. So I'm excited to be here. I'm glad you're here and thank you. So Tony um, is an entrepreneur as well. Her and her partner run Relentless Runners, and so we were chatting about you know, strategy and trying to think bigger minded, right? We were, you know, sometimes we get in our little ruts of like, oh, I'm the small business owner. Mm -hmm. We gotta remember like you can net, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month and you have to think like that. But still technically like not even that big of a business even in a sense. But you mm -hmm. know, sometimes in our little world we get caught up making our own personal salaries. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. And like you said, it's so easy to get into, into those ruts because, and it's funny that we get into that because you have to be open-minded open to be a business owner in general, to go out and put yourself out there, put your craft out there in general. Um, so it's odd when you think of it that, you know, entrepreneurs tend to think closed-minded, but I think it's all part of the process of acknowledging it, snapping yourself out of it and figuring out ways to continue to grow to, you know, where you want it to be. Totally. Yeah. Tony, so you guys should follow her. You changed your Instagram name, right? I did. Yeah. I thought that Tony Hart's running was super cheesy. So I decided I to love Tony it. Hart's running, by the way. I actually really like that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, I, I had that for a few years and it just got to a point where I wanted to share, you know, all different parts of my life or not, you know, there's, but most of it is still running. So I obviously talk about that. But, um, you know, I do want to talk about business ownership things every now and then I do want to talk about mindset, spiritual, like all that stuff. So that's what made me want to change it to, you know, be able to have it, uh, the brand, I guess you'd be just be able to leave it open-ended, I guess. Mm -hmm. Now, what is your Instagram name now? It's my name. So T-O-N-I. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just that simple and sweet. All right. So it's at T-O-N-I. K-E-N-D-O-R. Yep. So make sure you follow her. Tony posts these bomb photos. Um, <laughs> like, you'll catch her running and she's sweating. And you're like, who took that photo from <laughs> that angle in the middle of the woods? And it's yeah. like, wow. And, you know, she you know, you put some really great captions on. I'd be sitting there reading it like, oh, my God. Yes, I need to go do something. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Whenever people are, I, I've gotten the, oh, who takes good or who takes these photos? And I'll lie and say it, it's Brooks, my dog. Um, no, but it used to be a combination of like a stick and rock pile that you set your phone up with a timer on and run by and take like a screenshot from the video. Um, but that get, it becomes a pain in the butt. So now I have Ben Petrol take my photos for me and he's an angel. So yes. So I'm trying to follow in Tony's footsteps and upgrade my life because, yeah, I used to walk around like, oh, I'm going to take a photo. Let me pop my phone up on this tree or up against yeah, my Yeah, that one's on a like, tree branch. 
And I was like, oh, I have a tripod now. And it's like, no, I just yep. don't need to get somebody else to take this picture. Yes, yeah. I had a tripod too for a while. Then it broke. Yeah. So here we are. <laughs> so yesterday, Tony, you went out fishing at like six in the morning, I saw. Yeah, yeah. Now I value self-care and I know everybody else values self-care. What is self-care about fishing at six o'clock in the morning? <laughs> It's a good question. Well, we were in the water a lot, so it was kind of like having an ice bath, you know, all day. So my body feels a lot less, you know, inflamed today. We stand in the water in our waders. So you have these people I have no idea what I'm talking about. Think, I don't. Of, think of overalls, okay, that are waterproof and you have boots on. So that way you're able to walk in rivers and streams and lakes and everything and be in water up to your chest without getting wet. But with that said, you need to layer up like crazy because the water is really cold right now. It is December. Um, and even then your feet get so cold that I literally thought last night or yesterday while we were out there, I was worried that my feet were like black because they were so cold and I couldn't really feel my toes, but they were fine. But it, yeah, that's self-care, right? No. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun in all reality. It was a lot of fun to just be out in nature. Um, my husband fly fishes. He has since I started dating him almost eight years ago, which is crazy. Um, and I never went with him really much up until this last year, just to try to get outside and find things to do, which is hard for everyone right now with COVID. So I gave, I feel like I gave it an honest shot this time and he taught me a little bit more things. So I got decent at it. Still not great. Um, still not great. Let me just say that, but have gotten better to the point where I find a lot of enjoyment being out there. And with him, he does fly fishing. So we do mm -hmm. fly fishing, which this sounds crazy, but with fly fishing, just the movement is just so um, meditative almost. So it's been really enjoyable to do that. Really? So fly fishing being meditative. I thought it was that the really aggressive fishing you know, like, to think back and do that. How is that meditating? I don't know. <laughs> Going like that. Oh, I'm joking on hair. Um, okay, so you do look like that at first, but it does get a little bit better. It becomes more like fluid instead of going like this while you're out there. But it it is a lot of it's a lot of fun. My friend actually who ran with us, Megan, that one time when we did that longer run. So she's a therapist and she was telling me that there's actual classes that they have where they do fly fishing as a part of a form of therapy. Um, and there was some science behind the movement of doing fly fishing. I'm like doing it as I'm talking to you, doing fly fishing um, that helps that helps somehow mentally. So I thought that that was super interesting, but yeah, it's a real thing. That, that sounds, that, <laughs> you say it like that, I'm like, that sounds cool. But then I think about the fact that we run for therapy and I'm like, okay, that actually sounds True. pretty calm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's the same, same thing. It's just that like steady movement while you're out there. That really is just so therapeutic. I have to send you this video I found on YouTube. There was this comedian and I like almost really want to just find this and show this to you. <laughs> uh, there was this comedian. I don't remember what his name was. And it'll probably take me too long to pull this up on Facebook. And he talks about the runner's high is not real. <laughs> and, you know, he's like, I don't understand how people can go run and then get done and feel better. And I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I actually oh, legitimately to go find it. Yeah. Um, his name was, yes, Jim Gaffigan. Oh, so he's, yes, he's so funny. Please, I'll have to find that. Um, 
I would just watch, he was on TV the other day and I saw a little bit of, I don't know what it was, but I used to not think that he was that funny. And then he just had some really good jokes the other day when I was watching him. So I have to, I have to watch that. Oh, it was hilarious. I was dying. Cause I'm like, you know, I asked some of my, one of my, one of my members, she was like, you know, I don't like totally get this runner's high. I was like, what? You run all the time. And I was like, what do you mean you don't get the runner's high? I'm like, runner, like if I go run like six miles and I get done, it's like I was in a sauna, like, or like getting a massage basically, which for some of you listening who don't run, I'm sure that sounds absolutely nuts, but like, I'm serious. <laughs> it's really a thing. But like, I remember the last time I did a hard interval sprint workout. And I also realized why people don't do that kind of training as adults without competition, without serious competition, because that sucks. Oh, it's terrible. There's so many, even when I was doing my endurance training block, um, back in the summer, not training for anything. And you have these moments, you're like, why the F am I doing this right now? I'm literally (laughs) like, there's, I have no reason to be out here right now. And you're killing yourself being out there for an hour or two. Yeah. It's the most painful experience. And then afterwards you're like, Oh, that was so great. I can't wait for next week. Seriously, I think the last time I did like repeat 200 was back in June. I did 100 miles that month in a little competition with some friends, and oh, I started yeah. off as being slow. And I was still doing like ultimate frisbee training, think we're gonna have an ultimate frisbee season. So me and what, my teammate, this guy Sam Van, we ran these eight 200s. This is the first time I started actually beating him in 200, so he was my ass. And we did them all in 28 seconds, right? And it was 28 seconds for somebody who's not like a super serious track athlete is mm-hmm. pretty fast to be running repeat 200. Yeah. I was lightheaded for like the next half an hour. We got done and I'm laying on the ground like I can't think. My head hurts. I felt dehydrated <laughs> that day. And it took me, I'm not lying, like five minutes to walk back 100 meters after the last one to go get like water. I'm like, I, I need water. <laughs> I was in a desert. It was miserable. And I was like, yo, there's no runners out here. I think in like a couple of days later, like a week later, I did like 12 miles and I'm like, this is so much better. Yeah, this is so much more fun. I agree. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> now, in your journey, so you are a coach, but you also, you know, compete as well. You know, tell us a little bit about your journey, you know, competing and getting into running and, and where you're at now. Yeah, so I got into running towards the end of college, actually. I grew up playing soccer. I played soccer in college and then um, tore my ACL. That's right around that time is when I stopped playing soccer collegiately. And it was after that that I was just trying to, like, find something to get into. Um, I I couldn't really find any hobbies that really gave me that competitive excitement. Um, and I was always involved in team sports. So it was just, I had a really hard time with that. And I have friends who ran, I had a lot of people I played with soccer wise too, who got into running or would just run five K's every now and then. And then for, I, for whatever reason, I was terrified of running. I think it was from our two mile fitness test that we had to do in preseason that I would throw up. But I was like, running is not for me. I could do, I love speed workouts and I always enjoyed that part of it, you know, for getting ready for soccer, but the other stuff just hated it. So avoided it for a really long time. Finally, my roommates in college, who are still good friends of mine, 
got me to run the Pittsburgh half marathon, sign up for it. So the Pittsburgh half was my first race back in 2013. And then, which is weird, like who decides a half marathon for their first race, but I didn't train yeah. properly. <laughs> Thank God I didn't get injured. I don't know how that happened. Um, but I just, I think I ran up to seven miles for my long run and then ran that race that day, but it was just a really cool experience. And I don't know if you ran any of the Pittsburgh races or even just being there, but the crowd support's really good with the size race that it is. And it was just so cool crossing the finish line. I never had done anything like that before. I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to finish. So to be able to finish in general and just have that a feeling of accomplishment is what made me come back. And then going back to being the, being an athlete, I was just like, okay, what's next? I guess it's a marathon. So then my second race I've ever done was a marathon, um, where that next fall, cause Pittsburgh's in May. So it was, um, October, I think is when the Steamtown marathon is that's in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, I started training for that and again, great experience, had so much fun. And then that's when I just kind of continued to keep on with training, you know, for endurance races. Okay, wow. That's quite a, a beginning. You know, most people get yeah. to begin and like, oh, I'm gonna do a 5k. And then and they wait maybe a year. Or so I'm like, all right, we'll do a 10k. And then all right, do 10 miles a half. And they're like, half? Yes. All right, you know what? The marathon. Like, let's go do that real quick. You know, knock out a marathon real quick. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was, again, it was a really cool experience, but yeah, I definitely, I could not walk after the half marathon from not training properly. Uh, my legs were so sore. How people experience the marathon soreness were walking down the stairs is hard. I had that for, you know, the half. So from, yeah, it, it was rough, but yeah, that doesn't, when you train the right way for a half, that usually doesn't happen. You're sore, but not to that extent. So Lesson yeah. learned, guys. Lesson now, how did that experience in your first year set the tone of, you know, what you trained for and how you trained over the coming years? Um, it really was. I loved the competitiveness of the me versus me mentality. And whenever I did my marathon training, I just pulled, I just pulled a free plan from the website. I think it was Hal Higdon. He has a bunch of free wet, like, plans on his website. Um, that's when I learned that plans exist too, to train for something. I was like, oh, so this is what I should have done the first time. But the one that I pulled had some speed work in it. Um, and I, I had some challenges with learning the verbiage and what stuff meant. Um, but I really liked doing the speed work. Uh, it reminded me of the training for soccer in a sense. So I felt like I was combining that old type of training that I would do for a sport that I love to this new thing that I'm dipping my toes in. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that competitiveness of realizing what training could be like, and again, just pushing those limits in something else is what kept me coming back for it. And then for me, I can't help but have this mindset that once I have this baseline, you know, for me, my mind just went to the time. So the time for my first half, the time for my first full, I was like, now I have to beat that. Like, how do I beat that next? So that competitive nature has always been within me. And I think that I just got this newfound excitement um, of being able to do that and have that tangible thing to work towards. That's awesome. And so as you progress in that career, like, what kind of um, races have you gone to and have you performed that have wowed you? Like, oh my God, I can't believe I just did that. Yeah, um, that's a good question. So obviously the first two, those first two races were that wow factor for me. But after that, um, 
I just automatically think of the Chicago marathon. So I've ran seven marathons. Um, I haven't ran a lot of halves, um, but I've ran seven marathons and Chicago was for sure my favorite one. I've ran it twice and I think it was the first time that I ran Chicago. That was the first year that I started working with a coach for running um, instead of doing it on my own and having that structure and guidance on how to train properly made such a big difference. And I had a big PR that day and it, it was one of those days that all the stars aligned, which is wonderful when that happens, especially for a marathon too, because you're out there forever. Um, so it was just a really great experience. And I felt like I was chipping away towards something that I didn't know that I was capable of, which was a Boston qualifying time. So that's what opened my eyes to, wow, like if I keep training the right way and keep just working hard and showing up, I could potentially work towards this really cool goal. So um, that was that next level of, you know, wanting to work towards something else and keep chipping away towards bigger, even bigger goals. That's awesome. So everybody listening, you got a little bit of information about Tony getting into running. You know, everyone finds their way into this sport one way or another. Some of you are, you know, middle school kids, high school kids, and you are competitive sprinters. Some of you are, you know, adults who are, you know, our age, maybe a little older, maybe younger, who, you know, wanted something to do, right? Um, what we want to talk to you about in this episode is understanding your body, listening to your body and being able to respond to it. You know, every day you wake up, you're going to feel a little different. Um, and so you have to be able to understand what you feel like. Every workout that you do is going to feed you something. You know, there might be a general trend, but then you're going to have these other days. We're going to, your workouts are going to feed you something different. And so being able to learn what's happening and being able to respond to it appropriately, sometimes you need to put the brakes on. Sometimes you need to just grind through and shut up and just work. And so understanding, you know, when it's, when it's appropriate. And so, you know, Tony, over your running career and, you know, even your experience coaching and so being able to see this, although what we realize as coaches is that we see these things very easily in other, in our athletes, but sometimes with ourselves, it's a little bit harder to you oh, know, yeah. always pinpoint those things and, and accept them. That's really also the other part. Yes. Um, <laughs> But yeah, tell us a little bit about, you know, what is that art of listening to your body? And also, why does that matter? Yeah, so for me, um, I don't want to say unfortunately, because it's a good lesson that I learned. And like you said, this is in life too, that it's so much easier to give advice. And there's a lot of times that we need to take our own advice. Um, and at the end of the day, exactly what you said, I'm a coach, but I'm an athlete. So um, I went through, you know, it was actually after my the last marathon that I ran was Chicago in 2017. And that was a great day, um, great race, hot day. But it was after that, that I, I had plantar fasciitis kind of lingering and lurking in my foot, you know, a couple of weeks leading up to that race and was told, you know, you can run the race, just know that it might flare up afterwards. Um, so for me, I took that as like, okay. And I ran a great race that day, but I was shy of achieving my goal by seconds. Um, and so I wanted to then transition and run a race that I could just 
put it all out there and have a time that kind of reflected my true fitness um, and be able to kind of get over that heartbreak of being so close to a goal and not achieving it. So even though my foot was bothering me, I still, you know, I took a week off from running after my marathon and started to get ready for the EQT 10 miler in Pittsburgh. Um, and I kept doing speed work and all of that stuff. And I ran like a good time that day. And, you know, according to the training calculators, it put me on par with, you know, the goal that I was trying to achieve, which helped me mentally feel better. But I kept pushing through this little ache and little pain in my foot. And then that turned into really chronic plantar fasciitis. And then um, it was just a matter of me not, you know, I didn't listen to my body then. I didn't learn from that experience because when I then it took a while for that to heal and then um, I wanted to chase this Boston qualifying time early um, summer before the cutoff because there's that time slot that you have to register with your time to be able to run for that next year in Boston. So I started training again way too early when I was just fresh off of starting to feel good running again. And I went into one of the hardest training cycles for a marathon I've ever had ended up getting hurt again, um, from overcompensating and the training being difficult and me just forcing something that my body wasn't ready for. So I got Achilles tendonitis, which is the worst thing <laughs> to oh. one of the worst pain. Like it's such a frustrating injury. Um, so went through that. Um, and that took a while then again, had something else. And I, from those back to back injuries that were, again, like I can say this confidently now, it was from me not listening to my body, me being impatient about my goals. Um, and thinking, having the mindset of, you know, it's good to have a now or never mindset when it comes to certain areas of your life to just go for it, be fearless in your pursuit of what you're shooting for. But when it comes to your body, it's not good to do that when it's a matter of this could potentially lead to a really big setback. Um, so I, I learned from that and I've learned that it's so much best, better to have a couple unplanned rest days, you know, two to three days that maybe you need to take off to let your body heal, ease back into things, bounce back than to just force, you know, continue to think that you need to get that last workout in, or you need to just do, let's see if we can get through this long run and then we'll see if it's a real thing or not. So, mm. um, now I've embodied the mindset of if something doesn't feel right, cause it's different to, um, it's different to, um, uh, I forget. I lost my train of thought. Now I saw a message pop up, but, um, what was I saying, Donald? I forget where I was going with that. So, you you know, it's different when you have that kind of like now or never moment. Sorry, everybody. I was taking a note and it sent to her. Yeah, it's okay. I read um, it. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> and so, you know, being able to know you have that unplanned rest day and having that flexibility. Yeah of, you know, being able to say like, all right, look, I have this kind of rest day in the bank and knowing that you can utilize that and keeping that in flow. Exactly. Yeah. That was exactly it. Of almost thinking of unplanned rest days as a part of your training because mm -hmm. they may happen and it doesn't have to mean that you are, that you have to stop training altogether, or it means that you're on the brink of an injury. Maybe it's even on the brink of a burnout where you're just mm -hmm. mentally so fatigued and you needed a couple of days to kind of recharge. 
I think that it's a tab having a rest day an unplanned rest day is a taboo topic that I think more coaches need to talk about. Um, and more athletes need to talk about if they have them. Um, because it just, it's, it's all part of it. And when you're training for something, and again, like it's at any level, whether you're a middle school, high school, professional athlete, you know, or, you know, a person like me who just is crazy and likes to go out and push myself for, you know, no reason other than I just love it. But, um, no matter where you fall on that spectrum of an athlete, um, yeah, it's just, it's just all part of it. And we're pushing our bodies to limits that maybe we've never done before. Um, and our bodies having to adapt to these new stressors of training. So I think it's good to kind of be, be able to ebb and flow as you need to, um, and not be afraid of that. Mm, okay. Being able to ebb and flow as you need to and not be afraid of that. You know, I think uh, I, some of the kids that I coach, especially like really, really ambitious and competitive athletes, you know, they sometimes struggle with backing off. And, you know, yes, every training day matters. But yeah. one thing that's very important is your body does not physically get better while you're training. You're literally breaking it down. Yes. It's only during the rest that your body takes that stress and rebuilds itself and you have to be very aware of that process the you know you hitting repeat six minute miles is not what's physically in that moment making you better it's actually tearing you apart mm -hmm. but that stress whenever you get to ah, relax and sit back that's when your body's like all right you know you just beat the hell out of me you beat the crap out of me so all right now i'm going to rebuild while you aren't doing anything i'm going to rebuild yeah no, I completely agree, but it's hard. It's really hard. Um, and yeah, especially when you're excited about your training and you're seeing progress and you just want to keep going. And a lot of it has to do with that excitement and just not wanting, it's this FOMO of not wanting to miss out on that day or that week or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's all, it's all part of it. Now you said, you know, it's hard and it very much is. How did you learn how to do that? Like, what was that process like of learning how to listen and be okay with backing off when you need to back off? Yeah, it's, it was from making the decision of not doing that and that heartbreak of having to, having to sit out longer from a sport that I loved. Um, when I know that I, I look back and I know that there were so many moments that if I would have just rested that day, then I could be doing the things that I want to do sooner. And instead I'm, you know, four months into the healing this injury and it's frustrating. So it's having just missing what I'm, what I was doing and missing the training and being able to just have that opportunity to work hard towards something that I just missed so much. And I just made that promise to myself that in the future, whenever something felt off, um, even if it ended up not being a big thing that, I never want to be back to that place and I'll just take the time off that I need to now. Um, so that way it doesn't become a chronic thing anymore. Yeah. Okay. You know, that, that's actual experience of not being able to compete and train. I'm, I'm sure that kind of is like a punch in the gut. Oh yeah. Yeah. You just, and it's hard too. And I'm sure anybody who's experienced an injury before can relate to this where you it's hard when you're in it and you have friends and teammates who are going out there and working towards things that you also want to work towards and it's really hard to sit back and watch that unfold and not being able to be a part of it um mm. and there's things that you can do to stay in a good mindset and everything while you're in the healing process of course but um yeah just if you have that opportunity to make that time shorter um 
yeah, it's just not being afraid to, to scale back as needed. Yeah. More is not always better. True. Yeah. Now on the flip side of this, you know, (laughs) while a lot of the people listening to this, you may have a problem with, you know, turning it down a little bit, right? You probably don't listen to a training podcast because you're lazy. But (laughs) on the other hand, there are times when it is time to grind and just because you don't feel like it does not mean that you shouldn't. Yep. You know, for you and your experience, like, what has that been like when you're in those times where your body's physically capable, you just mentally don't want to, or maybe there's other things going on and it's like, you know, this tempo workout or this really long run, I'm just not here for it. But, you know, it's part of the plan and you got to get it done. Like, how do you, you know, drive that discipline through there? Yeah. So my, one of my athletes that I work with shared this with me a few months ago and it was just one of the, those aha moments. Um, but I was doing a post on her because she had trained for this one race and did really well. And it was during COVID that she was training. So I had asked her something along the lines of, how did you stay motivated during this time? You know, because it's hard when you have these races that you're training for that maybe aren't happening. It's going to virtual, all of that. And her response was not relying on motivation and instead relying Mm. on discipline, discipline and the consistency of your training. Um, And I love that because I think that a lot of people talk about motivation and always needing to have, it's important to have goals that excite you, but having this goal that excites you so much that it gets you out of bed every morning. And that's just so unrealistic. Um, (laughs) You know, it's so unrealistic because you do have those days where you wake up. And I always think it's when, for me, when I'm training for a marathon, it's when I'm close to the end of the marathon, that it's your longest weeks. It's your longest long runs. Everything feels, you're just tired of training. You've been doing this for months and you're like, I'm tired of running right now. I just want to start tapering for this race but you still need to show up and get out there because like you said, every single, every single part of your training matters. Those different runs matter. Even the easy runs matter. It's not always about those workouts, the hard speed workouts. So for me, it's just reminding myself of what I'm working towards and knowing that I'm not in the mood for this right now, but I'm just going to go out and do it anyway. And a tip that I do for me or a trick that I tell myself as well, um, especially when I have those like longer, easy runs is I'm just going to go out and get a couple miles. And if I have a seven mile run, for example, I'm just going to go out for two miles or one mile. If I really am I'm just so done, then I know that I'm actually mentally burned out and I need a day to recharge. Cause that that's a real thing too. But if I just need to get out there and after a couple miles or a mile, I slowly start to get more into it to enough to where I can finish my run and just like grind it out. I also try to make it as enjoyable as possible for myself if I'm not looking forward to it. So whether that's finding a new playlist, finding a new podcast to listen to on the run, going to a running route that I haven't been to in a really long time. Um, if people have like a bubble of people that they feel comfortable running with right now, leaning on those people to kind of meet up and make it more enjoyable. And I know of people in the Pittsburgh area, for example, they'll, um, they'll go and do track workouts together and they're not doing the same workout, but they'll all go to like Shenley Oval and do their thing. You know, they're all doing different workouts, but just being out there together, it, it really helps. So there's a lot of things that you can do, um, to kind of trick yourself into at least just getting out the door. Cause sometimes that's all that it takes is just getting up and getting out there. Nice. 
Uh, those are some really good pools there. So, you know, I like that trick of I'm going to just go do something and then I'm going to see what happens. Yeah. Because yeah. Sometimes you, you really go out and you're like, you know, this is really not so bad. Mm-hmm. And um, especially with it being cold, I went for a run with uh, a couple of my kids on Monday and it was like the first mile in and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I just want to get back to my car. I don't even know why. Yeah. I <laughs> and then you got like a mile and a half in and I'm like, you know, this isn't so bad. Like, let's go. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like a 10 K. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, it's always funny when that happens too, when you're just so not feeling it. And I feel like this happens more often than not, you're not feeling it at all. And then you start and then you end up having a great run or a great workout. If you have a workout plan that day. Mm-hmm. Do you ever like put like in that spirit, do you ever put together a run where it's like, this is like an easy day. It's like a rest day. And you're like, I'm just going to run but you have no mileage goal. You're just like, I'm going to go outside and just move. I feel, so I do work with a coach. So I do have a run on my schedule, but I feel like when I'm not training for something, if I'm having a day where I'm just feeling myself out there, then I'll just like go and see what, and see what happens. But for the most part I do, I, she always has something written for me on there, but it is fun to let I think it's important to, to, let yourself have that freedom any, every once in a while. Um, even if you go against the grain and kind of, I'm not saying don't listen to your coach, but that one day, if you don't listen to your coach and just go out and enjoy yourself, you know, you don't want to make a habit out of it, but it's good to just give yourself that freedom. Sometimes it makes it fun. And I think it allows you to be in the moment and kind of get back to why you enjoy this, you know? Yeah. I had one of those moments on Saturday where I don't really do this very often. Like I usually always know exactly how far I'm going to go. I know exactly what pace I'm going to go at. <laughs> But Saturday, like I, you know, a, a group of our kids, they're planning to run Sunday morning. I'm like, I'm not getting up at eight o'clock to go run with y'all, but I'm gonna run Saturday at noon. So me and one of the members from the gym, Angela, we went running and I had like, I had an idea where I wanted to go and where yeah. I might run, but she had suggested this like down in Frick Park, there's like this swag hill with the rope that you would climb. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know about that. Her son told her about it. So we went and I had no mileage goal. I think we ran the whole thing like nine minute pace. It wasn't like we were moving that fast. We were talking the whole time. Yeah. I had no idea how far we were running. We got done. We did like five miles and we like almost got lost. And we, <laughs> we found like a bike park up somewhere in Frick Park up top of there. I don't even know where it was. Like, I had a hard time finding it again. I'm like jumping and off of like going, going half-ass parkour. Like parkour. One thing to the other. <laughs> going down running down this bike trail oh we ended up back in the same spot oh we'll, we'll crawl down this little really run down trail and then run on this little skinny trail under the bridge and oh shit, we're back at the irish center yeah. <laughs> it's so fun to do that though sometimes it was a lot of fun now um kind of closing this out looking more tangibly like at running you know as a coach When you're looking at balancing those runs, you know, we talk about, you know, having those easy days and having those hard days, like, how do you look at and balance that throughout the week to pre-prepare for the stress of running? You know, if you do hard days every day, outside of the physical body, you know, taking the toll, mentally going to take a toll. And, you know, how do you balance that out? Like, what do you, what would you recommend to somebody listening to be able to Um. I think that having, so if you have a couple days, I I, I feel like it's really popular um, for people to say, keep 80% of your workload a little bit 
easy, like easier effort. And then the 20% are those like really hard days. Um, and that's not for everyone, but I know that that's common for me. What works for me personally, what does work for a lot of my athletes is just having space between those really hard efforts, um, to allow your body to be able to recover enough to get ready for that next hard effort. So I'll have a few days at least between, unless, well, it's a whole other conversation, but I was going to say, I have a few days between a long run, for example, which is a harder effort, um, and a speed workout, um, if that makes sense. But there also is the other part where there sometimes is, it's intentional to have a couple days closer together, depending on what you're training for. So if you're training for something like a marathon or ultra or any type of endurance race, really, if you have a harder effort and follow that up with a, you know, a hard effort, but you know, a long run, for example, so a speed workout or a threshold workout or whatever, followed up with a longer run, but just keeping that longer run, even though you're out there for a while, a little bit easier in terms of pace and whatnot. So there's ways to do that, but just having enough time for recovery. And also, um, I mean, just the stuff outside of the training itself is so important. I'm sure you preach this to your kids and the people you work with stuff like sleep, stuff like food, um, are huge in terms of letting your body, allowing your body, body your body to recover quicker too. Yeah. Going out and aiming to hit hard runs off of four hours of sleep is just not ideal. No, no, not at all. I always have a rule too, that I, if, if I don't get any more than a certain amount of hours of sleep, then I won't do the workout or I'll ask my coach to rearrange things. Um, because mm. it's, it's just going to break your body down even more. And there's a way where you can restructure things if you need to, to still get it in, still get one step closer to your goal, but also treat your body. So that way it can withstand like the type of training that you're doing. Now for my athletes listening, don't text me. Talk about, oh, coach, I got like four and a half hours of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to catch it. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't, don't I'm watching you. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Thank you so much there, Tony. That was really good. And also a good refresher for me to kind of rethink, you know, what I need to be doing, how I can, you know, push myself a little bit harder, how I know like when uh, my body's just not feeling it that day. You know, being able to make sure I can prepare for that, but also just realizing it's like, yo, you know. Yeah. Was, um, and one thing that I really think about when it comes to that discipline and motivation piece, like I remember you making that post and and, and her and I, you sharing what she said about that. Like I distinctly remember that when you when you signed up to even schedule this this, this podcast. I was thinking about that when I saw your name pop up because I was like, yo, that really stuck out. Yeah. You know, there's a motivational speaker I like to listen to named Eric Thomas, EP, the hip hop preacher. Uh, he has an awesome podcast, Secrets to Success podcast. I love it. Um, and they talk a lot about this. You know, there's motivation is cool, but motivation won't get you nowhere. It'll get you started. But yeah. it's really the discipline and the systematic way of doing things to make something a part of your lifestyle that's really yeah. going to get you somewhere. And and like that part is really sticking to me. Yeah, I think too, go, touching on that again is, you know, there's that phrase that it takes 21 days or however many days, days exactly it is to establish a habit. And, you know, that's my biggest advice for people too, if they want to be able to have something become, be able to have that discipline, 
um, to just be able to get up and get out and get it done, um, to have set up a schedule for yourself um, or a game plan, whether you're working with a coach or you're doing this on your own, but having a routine that works for you and having a goal to be as consistent as possible with that routine. And once you get through those three or four weeks of sticking to that, it does become more of a habit because I, I feel like in the beginning when I'm training for something, it's always hard getting used to that structure again and the discipline of the demands of training and all of that. But after a while, it just becomes a part of it where you're like you, you almost get used to those days that are hard to get up and you're like, I'm mm -hmm. not in the mood for this, but you know, like, I know once I do this, I'm going to like feel better. I'm going to like, you have those tools in your back pocket that you can leverage as you need to. So give yourself those three to four weeks to kind of establish that habit and the discipline tends to follow suit. Um, once it just becomes part of your routine. I hope you wrote that down. And if you didn't, you should hit the 15 second rewind button a couple of times. And really <laughs> I did. Now, um, Tony, tell us a little bit about Relentless Runners. How can people learn more about you or learn more about that? Oh, yeah. So Relentless Runners is our online running coach uh, business. We started it in 2016. So relentlessrunners.com is the website where you can find us and learn more about us. But we offer strength coaching, run coaching, and we just hired um, a nutritionist. She's our degreed uh, sports uh, dietitian. So we're excited to have her on for our athletes to leverage if they want to, but we work with people of all experience levels. Um, so whether you're someone who is just starting out with running, we, especially with COVID, we've had so many brand new runners or people who started running again after taking a lot of time off where they're starting with a run walk and have goals to run a 5k continuously um, or run their first 5k and all that. So people with those goals through more like competitive athletes training to qualify for like Boston, New York city marathon and all that. So it's a really inclusive group. We're a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, check us out and let me know if you have questions. And how can they find you on social media? Um, so my name, T-O-N-I-K-E-N-G-O-R, um, on Instagram. I'm mostly active on Instagram. So that's where you can find me on social media. Awesome. So definitely go check uh, her page out. Check out the awesome photography work and the awesome inspiration. <laughs> and, you know, follow the journey. I hope you got, guys got something really good out of this. Um, make sure you like, subscribe, and share this podcast with a friend, share it with a teammate, share it with somebody who really needs to like calm down. And um, <laughs> some of you know personally know who I'm talking about. All right. And then also, you know, make sure you still grind it out when you have to. Okay. Discipline beyond motivation. All right. Remember that. Uh, make sure you go check out the website, www.ghperformance.com. Go ahead and get your free ebook, 10 Exercises to Eliminate Running Pain, that I put together. There are 10 exercises that we use a lot at the gym to where, you know, different issues that happen in the knee and the hips and the ankles, and really being able to add those to your training regimen to help with, you know, getting rid of some of those common pains. And if you need a, any more information, you can reach out to me at the website. Um, you can find me on Instagram at coach underscore Donald and find this podcast training underscore well underscore done. Uh, make sure you share. Thank you, Tony. Make sure you guys will follow Thank her. You. And I'll see you all next time on the show. Ready to learn something new. Holla.